Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And just before we get started, wanted to apologize. Had a little bit of a medical emergency that canceled last week's episode, but we're all back now off injured reserve, so good <laughs> to go. Um, so Morgan, do you want to start with baseball? Yes, this is a jam-packed episode because a lot actually happened with MLB and most of it was with uh, my team, so might as well just get in with that. So I'm sure by now everyone knows that the Rangers are going to open up to full capacity, which, you know, genius. Um, are they the first professional sports team to do that? I have literally I never so. heard of any, like everything. I haven't even heard 50%. Everything I hear is like 25% or 10%. Yeah, the only other one that's close, at least that I've seen with MLB, is the Rockies. They're open a very weird number, but they're open 42.6%. That's and I thought I was like, okay, maybe that rounds out to like a nice even number of fans. No, because the number of fans is 21,363. So I don't know if... I don't know if they're technically 50%, but that's including like I'm, staff and stuff. I'm wondering if that is like the exact number of season ticket holders they have or something. I don't know. Cause that seems like a lot like yeah. Colorado isn't like Tampa or Miami baseball attendance, but I don't think they're half their stadium. They're not either. Yankees. Yeah. Um, so I did actually write down like, uh, which teams because so far all the teams have announced like somewhat capacity um, at first I I had two different lists because I didn't know which would be the easiest um, to explain so at first I did it by 20 percent and then 25 percent but then I realized like each stadium has different overall capacity so that's not really helpful so I did it just by like um, first the teams that will allow less than 5,000 fans. Um, There is actually one team that is not going to have any fans, and that is the Nationals. So I forgot to pull up my note for this. But the reasoning on that is that they were cleared to play games at their ballpark. Um, They requested to host fans, but it was denied by – District of Columbia Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency. So the numbers could change because opening day is in like a week, mm-hmm. two weeks. Um, I don't think it will change by then, but I think probably by the end of April, they'll have some fans maybe. I'm, I'm just thinking because May, was it May 1st, everyone who's supposed to, who want a vaccine is supposed to have access so yeah I think by maybe end of May or sometime into June almost everyone would have their complete series yeah that's true I'm also thinking maybe specifically with the nationals it's has to do with like DC and the National Guard and so they're just like since DC has been very uh, tight on security since uh beginning of january i'm wondering if maybe that also plays into it um but they're the only team that has not said uh that won't have fans 
um, the Astros are the only team that hasn't announced how many. I'm sure since the Rangers are going to be 100% capacity, I'm sure Astros are going to have something, but they haven't announced what that percentage is. I would imagine it's going to be at least 50%. Hey, um, on the plus side for the Astros, they can just like every other seat, put a trash can next to them <laughs> and then just have their fans. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So then the next least amount would be Toronto, but that's because their first set of home games are going to be played in Buffalo. I assume the rest of their home games are too, but right now they've only had their first two home stands scheduled to be played in Buffalo. I can't imagine because beyond like Toronto isn't on the, by May, everyone who wants a vaccine can get a vaccine. Canada's having vaccine problems. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. And so 15% capacity at the Buffalo Stadium is um, just, it's like uh, 1,200 people. Mm. Um, And I'm sure they're going to be playing there the whole season. Uh, Boston's only doing 4,000, which I was kind of surprised that Boston was doing that many. Um, And then the teams that are doing less than 10,000 fans are Tampa, which they haven't officially announced that. They previously said like 7,000 fans, which is 16% capacity. Um, But that's the most up-to-date. It doesn't really sound like that's official official, but that was going to be like their best guess. But really 7,000 kind of sounds like more than they would theoretically get anyway. So I guess that doesn't really matter. Um, I thought it was interesting. Pittsburgh Pirates are doing uh, 20% capacity, but they specifically said in their notes, by the way, I got all this information from ballparkdigest.com. Uh, they specifically said 7,600 fans and workers. They were the only team I saw that combined those numbers, whereas other people just said fans. Um, White Sox, Cubs, Padres, Giants, Angels, Dodgers, Phillies, Mariners, Oakland, Marlins, Detroit, and Mets are all also under 10,000 fans, which for the most part, for all of them, that's anywhere between like 15 to 25% of their capacity. Um, Then the teams that are between 10,000 and 15,000 fans, the Yankees actually just changed theirs because a couple days ago they were, I think like 15% capacity and now it's been up to 20% for them. Um, And then Diamondbacks, Baltimore Reds, Cleveland, Royals, Brewers, Twins, and Cardinals are all between ten and 15,000. Then, like I mentioned before, Houston and Tampa are really the only ones that haven't officially announced, which is weird since we're two weeks away. Um, but yeah, from what I've seen, Houston doesn't have like any, at least on this website, and I didn't bother checking their Twitter. Um, they haven't announced it. And then you have, like I mentioned earlier, Colorado Rockies doing a weird 42.6%. The Rangers doing 100% capacity, which leads me to the rest of my notes about my unfortunate baseball team. It's stupid. And we'll start with the fact that they say they'll be requiring masks, 
but also call it voluntary compliance, which my understanding of that is they're going to do it kind of like how their rules are for um, shouting profanities at the game. If the ushers hear you, they will reprimand you. (laughs) It's a no pun intended here, three strikes rule here. I don't know how you're going to do that when the capacity of your baseball field and opening day is usually sold out is 40. It's over 40,000 fans. I don't know how you have ushers keep track of who is and isn't wearing their mask and if it's been three times or whatever. You know what they did at the Creighton games that I thought was actually brilliant? And first of all, the, it's, the phrasing is part of it. So you shouldn't mm-hmm. phrase it as like voluntary compliance. Right. Because even if you are going to like do some enforcement, it sounds bad. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing they did is they had ushers and they always have a lot of ushers in sections. And then every like TV timeout or like the equivalent would be in between innings. They had the ushers at the bottom of the section holding up a sign that said masks are required. And then the mm-hmm. ushers just like walk back and forth and they're like staring at the people. And so it's just like peer pressure of you're not going to you're only going to take your mask off to eat because yeah. someone is like boring into you. And they never really have one strike because everyone's like, oh, like, right. So that actually segues great into the next issue, which um, last Monday, two anonymous Rangers employees talked with the New York Daily News. And as I've mentioned on here before, anonymous sources are used in journalism when you're when that source has a legit fear for their life and or job. And in this case, they even mentioned it in the article that these employees did actually fear that if they weren't anonymous, they would lose their jobs Um, or that their bosses would, there would be some kind of retribution. Um, So they were talking about how they learned that they would be working in a full capacity stadium the same way the fans did. And that's through Twitter and articles. So, and I don't know for sure. I think one of these employees was an usher and one like works in ticket sales. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Um, So they're basically saying they are hoping for the best, but bracing for the worst as far as dealing with fans. Um, One thing that I thought was really good that they pointed out because it was something I immediately thought of. A lot of the ballpark employees, as far as like, the people that scan the tickets when you first come in and a majority of the section um, ushers are senior citizens. They're older people. So hopefully you've already gotten their vaccine, but also it's like the older people that are going to get yelled at by the unruly and or drunk fans who don't want to keep their mask on. So that sucks for them. Like, I, I like, if it was a younger person, I think they would be more inclined to like, you know, argue with the drunk, probably younger fan. But like, if you're old, what are you going to do? Like, it's not really fair for them. And um, one of the quotes in there was like, that um, they're being positioned to manage conflict like bouncers. And I was like, that, yeah, because I mean, I, we've all seen a drunk fan at a sporting event. That's not someone you really want to deal with. And I imagined like a 70-year-old 
usher doesn't want to deal with at all. And I'm also thinking like, okay, if they have to go into the section and tell the person, they're also standing on steep stairs. So like, that's hazard too. Like none of this is going to turn out good. Um, also at the time of this article, Texas was 46 out of 50 as far as vaccine distribution. So not great on that. Um, then, uh, there was another thing in the article where most of the games will be with the roof open for ventilation, which makes sense. But also let's think about the fact that they just spent millions and millions of dollars just two years ago to get a new stadium with a roof for the roof to be closed. And now it's gonna have to be open all the time which is ridiculous I also would be curious about the the science behind that a little bit because like I get it generally speaking yeah but it's not even like an apartment building height when they, they talk about ventilation issues it's so enormous like is it like I just it kind of reminds me a little bit of the NHL's precautions to make it seem like they were doing something and then you thought about it and you're like is this even moving the needle any at all like I would be curious about that not saying it isn't but I would just be curious um and the thing is it sounds like they are fully expecting it to be sold out opening day possibly the entire opening series um because they said it'll be full capacity then and then after that they will have socially distant sections which from what someone told me it's only about four sections and I feel like a personal dig at me it's the opera seating in left field which look like the seats that just kind of like they freak me out because they look like they're just floating there and I hate that personally. It makes my legs a little like jello-y. Um, but the fact that they're only doing four se- sections, socially distanced, specifically socially distanced, I don't know if that means that like that's like a just in case all the other sections get really full. You know these are going to be socially distanced. Um, but I also heard from someone who works in the ticket area that they did not they are not selling opening series tickets anywhere near as quickly or as many as they have in previous seasons which makes me feel a lot better because that had me worried that people were going to flock to them um so it could turn out that they don't even have full capacity on opening day which would be a relief and would be great and kind of like a ha ha f you to the governor and even the rangers owners and i would appreciate that another quote from that article with the employee which i think summed up really well what i initially thought when they decided to open 100 percent capacity he said or they said at every turn the front uh, oh sorry at every turn they prove that they're more interested in finding ways for the club to make money rather than protecting the interests of their employees which if you remember, I think it was last summer, maybe late spring, right around when, I think right before the season started, back up, um, the Rangers were like the first team that required employees to come back um, to the offices and work. And it was like 
deal because a lot of them were obviously so very afraid of getting COVID and there weren't really any guidelines or anything about that. Um, So they haven't really done the best at proving that they care (laughs) about health of their employees. Then after all that, still, this is still last Monday, the Rangers put out a tweet with a video ad. The um, headline was like, um, uh, I wrote it down. Oh, cardboard is out, humans are in, which meaning like the cardboard, you know, fans in the stands, they're out where people can come in. Okay, the issue I have with that is that the guy they have in the video comes down the steps, sits in a seat, immediately pulls his mask down while holding his cup. And you can assume, okay, he's going to take a drink. But the entire video is him just holding the drink with his mask down while he's laughing and having a great time, which is not a great look because it's showing everything that we have all feared with having people there is that you require masks, but you can get around it by saying, look, I'm actively drinking, I'm actively eating, so I don't have to put my mask up, which I've heard from a lot of people happened at the postseason games that the Rangers held, and it's happened a lot at the Stars games that's had fans. It's how people are skirting around those mask requirements, so I'm not going to be surprised when we see a lot about that, especially since the Rangers official Twitter is seemingly condoning that as being okay. So we can finally move on from them and on to a more lighthearted story that I found. Um, If you followed me on Twitter, and I'm sure even on this podcast or on my last podcast, you know how much I love Zach Grinke. And there was an article with The Athletic last week that... Uh, was written by Jason, well, not even written because it's really just a transcript of a conversation, it seems like, Uh, Jason Jenks and Rustin Dodd, hopefully saying that right, and they talked to 15 catchers from throughout Grinke's career, and they all just have the best stories. Some of them I think I've heard from other articles, Um, and then Uh, Some of them are newer, but if you need a pitcher or a player, unfortunately, he's with the Houston Astros. You just got to get past that because I had to get past that. Um, But he just has the best stories. He's very much like he will tell you how it is. If you ask him a question, you better want the cold, hard truth. Um, Like for one catcher, he said – he asked Grinky one time, how would you make this team better? And Grinky straight up was like, well, I would change. I would trade you because you're, um, we're never going to get more back from you than we would right now. And there, there was another story where apparently like he's really into uh, fantasy football and he really gets into like the GM mind and wanting to trade. And like in the middle of throwing the ball around with the catcher, he stopped and he was like, hey, so I think we could do a good trade between our teams because you have a lot of this player and I could use that. And just like in the middle of the, of practice, just stopped and started talking about fantasy football. And um, there's just a bunch of fun stories out that. I think it's really fun when you hear, especially from teammates and the fact that it spans across four or five different teams, I believe. Um, It's just really good. There have been other times 
where he said he would be a he thinks he'd be a better catcher than one of his catchers which I thought was hilarious um I know one story that's not in the article but one of my favorites is when he was being called up to the major leagues he told his minor league manager that he thinks he'd like to play shortstop like he'd be really good at it he was like I I could be really good at it I'll, I'll start at single a and move up and the manager is like no you're being called up to the big leagues to pitch and he was just like oh okay like I, I just okay. love that I just want to point out if Zach Granke ever played hockey which I mean at this point it sounds like not out of the realm of possibility <laughs> he would 10,000 percent be a goalie oh for sure yeah because he's got the like weird goalie vibes but like funny but right he just really like says what he's thinking um there because and I should have if I was smart I would have pulled up my notes but I thought I had more word on here there was one time I during a game where he was like I think I'm gonna throw I think it was a cutter and the catcher was like you don't throw that pitch and he was like yeah but I think I can throw that pitch so I'm gonna do it now like in the game he just decided I'm gonna throw this pitch. I'm just gonna go for it yeah and one other thing that we've seen or we saw a lot of last year because um microphones picked it up with no fans and that he will compliment hitters if they like get a good hit off of him because like he's just genuinely impressed like he'll be like that was a good that was a good take or something and I just find that really interesting because I almost feel like if I was a pitcher I would do that same thing and be like wow I like I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth closed and just be like man I thought he was gonna swing at that and he didn't but um there's like a bajillion stories like I said they talked to 15 of the catchers that um has caught him in the last I don't know how many I know I think he's pitched for a decade now maybe longer um but yeah and then the most recent story that broke this weekend just whole everyone just prepare yourselves because you're not going to be prepared so a Cubs minor leaguer was arrested in Colorado after police found 21 pounds of methamphetamines and 1.2 pounds of oxycodone pills in his Chicago Cubs duffel bag. Is he still so, a Chicago Cub? I feel like um, they should cut him. I haven't seen anything where he's officially been released. But they I should. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole thing, first of all, he, and I think he's, he's young. I think he's like 20 something, 20, I think. Um, he was, first of all, stopped Wednesday morning near a ski area in Vail, Colorado, um, because he was speeding and drifting lanes. So first of all, if you're going to have drugs in your car, maybe don't do all those other things that are going to get you pulled over. Um, then this is the craziest part. Cause I was like, first of all, you put it in a Cubs duffel and there were like two other people in the car, I think, but they were, have no relation to the Cubs. So it's not like you could even pass it off as no, that's not my stuff. Like if you're a Cubs minor leaguer, maybe you don't put the drugs in a Cubs duffel bag. Yeah, it definitely kind of ties it back to you. Right. So here's what he said after he agreed to be interviewed. He claimed a friend in 
Sinaloa. I don't think I said that right. It's a city in Mexico where the notorious Sinaloa cartel is based. Not great when you're tied to a cartel now. So um, his friend, who apparently has ties to the cartel, offered him $500 to deliver the duffel bag to Denver. The players, sorry, the player's name is Jesus Camargo Corrales. Um, He is also from that city in Mexico. Said he thought that the bag contained shoes or clothing, but also indicated he knew there were drugs inside. Um, So can I just (laughs) hop in with this really quick? Um, I like legal stuff is kind of a hobby interest of mine where I read about so not a lawyer but know a decent amount about the law just gonna say should you ever find yourself in this situation friendly not quite a lawyer advice ask for a lawyer don't talk because right like there's a chance that the police did something wrong in the stop like there's so many things if you're gonna get out of this there the lawyer will help you way more. And even if there's a good story, it won't not be a good story. When the lawyer comes, it will still be a good story. Like don't talk until you have a lawyer. It's just always a bad idea. Right. And asking for a lawyer is not an admission of guilt. And it's your right. They might tell you that to try to make you talk. Right. And shows make it seem that way. But it, they literally can't say in court the only time they can say whether you did or didn't invoke it is when they're when there's a question of whether evidence should be admissible yeah but it's not like they can say and he denied talk to talk to us so therefore he's guilty like that doesn't fly so always 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 (laughs) ask for a lawyer not like I want a bunch of people like smuggling drugs and getting away with it but I'm a big fan of the justice the system works the best when people avail themselves of their rights so right that and I think it, it, it makes it worse that shows make it seem like the moment you ask for a lawyer, you look guilty. Um, but asking for a lawyer is right. So do it. Um, the other thing is, I don't know anything about illegal drugs except for what I've seen on TV. But I feel like $500 to deliver drugs, I'm assuming over the border too, because I'm assuming he got them in Mexico to take them to Colorado, $500 for 21 pounds of drugs seems like a pretty big ripoff. Yeah, well, so because when you combine it, it's like 22 plus pounds. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, okay, I was looking at $22 a pound. Legit, there's meat at the store that's more expensive than that. Yeah. And this is, like, illegal drugs. Like, what? And ask for a thousand at least. Jesus. It's a cartel. They have the money to pay you. Even if he didn't cross the border, if he was in any other state besides Colorado and was delivering it to Denver then it becomes a federal crime. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. He's the- discounted his rate there. Right. But then also, if you're going to say you don't know what's in the bag, don't make it be your own bag because I don't think this friend was a Cubs player. So how else is it getting in your Cubs bag 
did you just hand them a bag and like fill it up don't tell me what it is but fill it up and I'll take it well yeah okay and also there's this thing about like and I don't know exactly how like drug laws work there's a concept in law of like negligence and not knowing yeah this is basically designed for situations like this where it's like we don't want to have to go through all this trouble to prove something that if you engage even like two percent of common sense you could figure out the guys from Sinaloa like the drug cartel rules there yeah and he got five hundred dollars to transport duffel bags even if I acknowledge that he had no idea what's inside, he's an absolute clown idiot if he doesn't <laughs> know that it's drugs. If he never sees the drugs, he should right. still be able to put together that it's drugs. So that is the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. And I feel like if you're going to say, I don't know what's in the bag, maybe it should be not your bag. It should be like, oh, I don't know. That's a friend's duffel bag that they left in my car. Because even that's a stupid excuse, but it sounds better than I don't know what's in that bag that's mine. Yeah, in my car because the story he because you could legitimately say someone left something and I didn't know and yeah. that's, it's not the greatest story but it's at least if it's true it's somewhat believable yeah but someone paid me five hundred dollars to transport <laughs> something I didn't ask what it is they came I from a place it was shoes what? they came a place notorious for drugs with the cartel but I just assumed that it was clothing didn't look <laughs> And they were just paying me $500 instead of shipping charges. Right? Like, <laughs> this guy, all the brain cells aren't there. Because this is, like I said, should have gotten a lawyer. And then if you aren't going to get a lawyer, come up with a better story than that. Right? Have a story down, dude. Also, don't do crimes. But like, Yeah, don't. <laughs> like, obviously, none of this is excusing the crimes. But this is also, like, dumb criminal. Yeah. Which they always are. They're yeah. always dumb. Which maybe that's why these guys picked him. And it was like, let's see if he can be smart. But he probably won't like, be. You know those police officers, once the guys started talking, they're like, this is going to be the easiest case I have to write up. Right? <laughs> going to hand this to a prosecutor and be like, here's the guilty. Like, all you got to do is plead it out because this guy's guilty. Right? And that's all my baseball <laughs> So, hockey stuff. A couple quick things before we climb the corporate ladder like we always do. Um, the Isabel Cup, so the National Women's Hockey League, is going to come back um, March 26th through the 27th in Boston. Um, it's going to be on NBC Sports. And I will say, I was watching hockey today, and I saw that they're doing promos for it. So really cool to see. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is Danny Ryland, who was the – commissioner and then she was just on the board or something there was a new commissioner she'd been on affiliated and kind of was the founding force behind the NWHL step down so people think that there might be something on the horizon with the professional women's hockey players association which is the non NWHL players so maybe something is coming we're not sure but it is very intriguing that she stepped down so that's what's going on with women's hockey. The other big like kind of business thing that happened is the NHL announced the ESPN deal. And it kind of sounds like both sides really wanted involvement. The big thing I think for the NHL is for one, it's way, way, way more money than the NBC deal was. 
So the NBC deal was $200 million, but it's for everything. Like NBC has all of the national games and everything. And, and I believe the ESPN deal is more money for less access, but what the NHL what ESPN gets that NBC didn't get is they then are the streamer of the NHL package. So the NHL package, it kind of seems like it's, which is the NHL center ice or NHL TV is going away. And instead, if you have ESPN plus, you can, you get that with it. That is what it seems like. I don't know for sure that that, but that's what I've been led to believe. And then the way that they're going to do, and this is the seven-year deal, I should say, but um, Stanley Cup play finals will be on ABC, and then the playoffs and stuff will be on the ESPN family of networks for at least half of the Stanley Cups. But it might be there. We'll kind of have to see because there's this like secondary provider that they're going to negotiate with, and I guess ESPN could end up being both if they wanted to bid on that. Um, Twenty-five exclusive national games on ABC or ESPN each season, uh, 75 national regular season games streaming exclusively on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Um, so the, the, oh, and here's what it says in the thing, out of market streaming package, formerly NHL TV available only as part of ESPN Plus this subscription. So I know because ESPN, Disney, ABC, they own that like that conglomerate also owns Hulu mm -hmm. and they're really big on pushing the ESPN Disney plus Hulu um, streaming package. And so this is a way to increase adoption of that. And then for the NHL where they only have so many subscribers to their, their content offering, it's a way to package it with a more popular content offering. Um, so that's really interesting. Now NBC could theoretically bid on the secondary um, streaming rights, but with NBCSN going away, it doesn't seem likely. And the issue with that is apparently the NHL is looking to get and probably will get the current payment that, NHL, that NBC is making, so $200 million for the secondary deal. And it's gonna be a hard sell at NBC to be like, hey, we can pay the same amount and get less coverage. Um, so who knows if it'll be Fox. Um, I can't, it's hard to know anyone else because there's NBC, Fox, I guess CBS, but I can't really imagine. I, CBS, I guess, could decide if they want to make a play in that market, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, there could also be like YouTube TV or Amazon or something like that streaming. Um, I wouldn't imagine Netflix because it doesn't seem like they're into live sports so mm -hmm. but it's an interesting kind of new format structure deal um I know for me personally I already have Hulu live tv so I was kind of excited about this because I don't have the ESPN or Disney plus bundle but I'm thinking like well it's not that much more to add it on when you have Hulu already and might as well so th th those are the kind I'm the kind of person that they love so that's <sighs> it'll be really exciting to hear and see how this all works. Um, but I just kind of like that it's not anything that you really see in other leagues or anything like that, because mm -hmm. I like the NHL trying new things. And this is the kind of thing that Gary Bettman is, has always been innovative at. And 
it doesn't always execute it flawlessly, but is always pretty good at being innovative because a lot of, in a lot of ways, the NHL isn't innovative, but Gary Bettman's like a, a shark lawyer. So, and that's his background. And so he's really into like the creative business deals and stuff like that. So with that, it is time to climb the corporate ladder, um, Honda West division. The first thing I wanted to talk about is Robin Leonard coming back for Vegas. Um, he won his first game back. I thought it was, is really interesting. I, I think when Robin Leonard speaks, I find it really fascinating. I think he's a really candid, interesting guy. Um, and he was talking about all of the coverage of him because he played a few games, wasn't really that great. And then was out most of the season so far and then came back and he said, a lot of people were questioning if it was a mental illness issue or things like that. And he was talking about how hurtful and unfair it was because he was very open and has been very open and has proven to have it well under control. And so he thought that that kind of speculation, and I would agree, was very unfair. And so I thought it was, he shouldn't have to, but he really does carry the torch for the league on this of like calling it out and drawing attention to things like that. And he had a concussion and those are notoriously hard. And he said he wanted to for a long time disclose that, but that there are rules in the leagues and teams and stuff to work with just because he wanted to be like, everyone shut up about my mental health. I have a concussion. So I think that was interesting and I really commend him. Definitely worth reading some of the articles and stuff because his, his insights and stuff into mental illness, I always find very fascinating. Mm -hmm. so and stigma specifically. Um, this was something I just found interesting. It's a little old by now, but I wanted to talk about it just because it's kind of the interesting business legal sort of thing. So Evander Kane is filed for bankruptcy for millions of dollars in debt, and that's been for a while. But he may, he and the Sharks may mutually terminate a contract and he has five years at 7 million per left on the contract. You're like, why would a guy filing for bankruptcy terminate his contract? And here's the deal. Most of the debt that he filed for bankruptcy from the contract, his NHL contract was the collateral. And so if that contract is terminated, then it limits what the creditors can go after interesting so he and the sharks might do that so that for some like kind of avoidance sort of tactic it sounds a little steamy I don't fully understand it it might just be what he has to do um I, bankruptcy law is way above my pay grade but it was just <laughs> an interesting little thing I thought was like it actually might be better for his finances for him to terminate it's, it's really fascinating and then finally um we're going to talk about morgan's absolute favorite human being jordan bennington um <laughs> who signed a contract extension um is six years six million dollars um i thought i found a really great comparable for many reasons and that's matt murray who was traded in the offseason to ottawa and promptly signed a four-year 6.25 million dollar extension um I thought both were pr valued primarily for their Stanley Cup success and were kind of 
given the benefit of the doubt of recent struggles Mm because Jordan Bennington did not have a great year last year is not really having that great of the year this year and Matt Murray had similar struggles and was still signed to a pretty lucrative extension where for both Bennington and Murray you could bridge them and get them at a cheaper rate for less time and then obviously if they come out and kick ass you would have to pay them perhaps more than what they're making now but then there's less risk whereas Murray is like the worst goalie in the NHL right now and that's not even a an exaggeration if you look at his numbers he is the worst starting goalie some of that is (laughs) Ottawa is not great but he is also not helping Ottawa he is giving them (laughs) below average goaltending if they had a better goalie and when they have other goalies play Ottawa looks better so I kind of wonder if something similar could be true and you kind of see that with the blues this year they haven't been what they were previously and some of that is there's no jake allen and billy Huso or whatever not gonna bail out jordan bennington and kind of hold steady the boat so yeah i i thought it was very puzzling that long and that high of price it also felt weird timing yeah because it's the middle of the season like i i don't get why there would be a rush to make that especially for such a long commitment if it was a bridge deal and they're like hey listen we just don't want to avoid like have the contract hold out thing so we signed them for a two-year few million dollars like that makes sense but six by six like wouldn't you want the most time possible to evaluate and make sure it makes sense yeah because even if he suddenly turns in a Vesna performance, it's not as if he's going to come back and say, now you have to pay me $7 million because he just does not have the history to, to command that. Yeah. It just seems like a deal you'd make at the end of the season. Yeah. Especially with how he's played so far. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that is the Honda West. Next, we have the Scotia North Division. Calgary is three and one under head coach Daryl Sutter. They might be three and two now I forget I would have to relook it up but they are looking a lot better um it just seems like that different voice in the room kind of helped and I, it's not necessarily Jeff Ward's fault it just kind of feel felt like when you read some of the stories particularly about a few a month or so ago when the Leafs were playing Calgary and at the end of the game Jake Muzzin hit a puck like really lightly into Matthew Kachuk's stomach because Kachuk had done some things and Kachuk got upset and no one else stood up for him and he was really angry with that about that Mm -hmm. and like it seemed like the locker room had kind of grown tired of him or something that there were all these fractures so maybe it like I don't know that it's all Jeff Ward's fault because he stabilized a ship when there was the whole Bill Peters thing, which he does deserve credit for. That's not an enviable position. But I think Daryl Sutter being kind of well known to just no nonsense, kind of old school, which has drawbacks, not saying he's perfect for every situation, but in a situation right. like this, he can be the adult who comes in and like, everyone knock it off. We are yeah. one team. Let's figure this out. Like, stop acting like babies. Like some teams need that at certain times. Yeah. And I don't think Daryl Sutter is going to have a long shelf life with Calgary, but if he can just stabilize things, he will be, it will be worthwhile. And honestly, not saying there's other issues with this coach, but it was kind of like what Mike Babcock was for the least. Mike Babcock, I don't think they knew this at the time, but he was not a coach they could win the Stanley cup with, Mm -hmm. but they were, 
a tire fire for so long and he kind of just made them respectable and kind of studied things which is like old school mentality and then as soon as that was done and they actually needed to be good they're like okay this isn't working anymore and I think that Daryl Sutter might be a similar thing hopefully without the horrible manipulation and emotional abuse yeah so not comparing that but just saying that sometimes that can there's different coaches for different parts of a team life cycle yeah um so this the Leafs are now have now lost six of eight but it seems like there's a little hope on the horizon part of the problem is that Jack Campbell has been out Michael Hutchinson is Michael Hutchinson he's a third goalie he's not a person you want to have playing for any long stretches of time and Freddie was clearly hurt and was just not playing well um and was not giving them great goaltending because you look and you're like they didn't play that bad but they're losing like like I said, they had lost six of seven before last night when Jack Campbell played and got a shutout. And so I think Freddie is hurt. I also don't know if it's just an off year because goaltending goal is voodoo. And yeah. so I don't know if he's just off, but it's a little concerning, I think, for Toronto because there's such a complete team now their defense is really good they have so many different aspects where they had holes in the past it's all good and something that was previously good Freddie had been their starter and been a good starter for a long time and then last year they got Jack Campbell to shore up the, the backup situation and now for that to kind of be the thing and goalies are hard to get especially with the quarantine situation it's just a very tricky thing and so I'm hoping, and I would guess behind the scenes, they have more of an idea of what the injury is like and how much of that is in actually the impact on his play. Or if he's just having a down year, kind of trying to figure out so hopefully they can write things. Because Jack Campbell is quite good. And I think he can be your number one goalie for like parts of the season, like stretches to get mm-hmm. Um Freddie back on track but I don't know that he would be the person that you're like he's our number one guy I like I that right. he doesn't ha- hasn't really proven that yet so I think they would obviously ideally want Freddie back at some point um but speaking of the Leafs they have been doing a lot of cap stuff and one thing they did was they put Jimmy VC on wa- waivers and then actually today they put Travis Boyd on waivers, so today being Sunday. Um, and those are both really useful, have done well for them players. And uh, they just need it. So, because then basically, and you'll see this, the Penguins do this all the time. They play a game and then they promptly send John Marino down to the taxi squad, even though he's not actually going to do anything for the taxi squad. But because he doesn't have to pass through waivers, the off days when he's on the taxi squad, it's like cap savings for them. And so stars have been doing a lot of that. Every team is doing that, like up and down and up and down and up and down. Well, in order to do that with non waivers exempt players, you have to put them on waivers and then you can send them up and down as much as you want for a month. So that's like what the Leafs did with uh, Jason Spezza Mm -hmm. is now they can just send him down on off days and then they get relief from his cap hit on those days. And then they can just recall him and there's no risk of losing him. Now with Jason Spezza, they have a great advantage of he can 
authoritatively say, if you take me off waivers, I will retire. And everyone knows that that is actually probably a thing that would happen. And so no one's going to take him. Right. Jimmy VC can't very well say, if you take me, I'm going to retire (laughs) because he is way too young for that. And same with Travis Boyd, really. So Jimmy VC got claimed by Vancouver, which actually makes a lot of sense. Vancouver's having some injury issues. He's in Canada. Now, he didn't have to do the two-week quarantine. However, he did not get to play the same night that he was claimed because there was a work visa thing because technically he changed employers. Oh, it my was God. So, so ridiculous. <laughs> but that's immigration stuff. So, But they got it all figured out, which it shouldn't have been an issue because he wasn't immigrating anywhere. He was staying right. in Canada, but he's an American, so it's like a work visa thing. But... I think it's a really smart pickup. He makes like no money. It's like 900 grand or something like that. He was a a really sought after prospect coming out of college, kind of had, has had some good years and then played for Buffalo and had some Buffalo (laughs) years. So that's a thing. So he's been a little, but this year he's been, he kind of found his groove and with Jason, Jason Spezza and uh, I think Travis Boyd mostly, but some other people too on the fourth line really found home and he and Spezza had some good chemistry so I think he could really provide some things for the Canucks and so I thought that was completely logical but yeah I did laugh at the whole like he changed employers it's like so dumb but still the NHL that should just be enough Uh, next is the Mass Mutual East Division. So the first thing I want to talk about is the New York Rangers. First of all, Panarin is back, and we're all very happy to see that. He is such a great dynamic player, and so the league is better when he's back. And also, given the circumstances behind why he had to leave, it's just happy that everything is good with his family and friends and stuff now. So do they have to put him on some kind of list? Because it wasn't like, like – it- so Not I don't injured. know that he wasn't long enough, but the, the league would have been okay with it. Like if there's personal absence and stuff right. like that. And I think there's like exceptions and stuff, but I don't think he was gone long enough to meet that. So okay. he was just on the roster, but wasn't playing, which you gotcha. can do. Um, and the Rangers are, aren't in enough ca- of a cap situation that that was a huge problem. Gotcha. But I had to comment on this craziest thing that I've seen happen in a while. It's COVID stuff. So the entire Rangers coaching staff was out because of COVID, was on the COVID protocol list. And I found out like the day of. So the entire AHL coaching staff basically got called up like a player's would. <laughs> like, you have to coach now, surprise. And I believe even an assistant general manager was behind the bench. Oh my gosh. So you're like, okay, let's just hold on. Let's just like yeah. make it through. They beat the Philadelphia Flyers nine to nothing. And on top of that, that's bad enough. Nine to nothing for the Flyers. That's embarrassing for the Flyers yeah. against the NHL coaching staff. It was nine to nothing after two periods. They were leading nine to nothing, go, nothing going into the third. And they were basically like, oh, let's just skate around for 20 minutes and then be done. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I thought this was interesting. Mika Zibanejad, who's been having a little bit of a struggle this year. Not only did he get a natural hat trick in the second period, but in the second period, he had six points, which is tied an NHL record for most points in a period, which considering the 80s existed is insane. If I'm 
the Rangers GM, I am strongly considering just making the AHL coaching staff the coaching staff for the Rangers yeah, after that like, game. You know, you're David Quinn because the Rangers have been a little not as good as people thought they would be. It's like, this is not what I needed. Right? But this happens. Like, that's how Matt Murray became the starter for Pittsburgh. M- Marc-Andre Fleury got hurt. And then Murray came in and was amazing. And it's like, oh, he's our goalie now. That that happens sometimes. <sighs> That's crazy. Um, I have to look this up to see where we're at now because I want to make sure I give accurate, um, accurately portray the Buffalo Sabres misery. Uh, <laughs> They'll because, appreciate that. Oh my God. Like it is it is sad. Um let me look at well first of all they're in dead ass last not only in (laughs) the uh entire east division but in of course the entire nhl because of course like they're terrible it it is correct because their game against boston was postponed which is probably good for them with how things are trending right now to just not have a game um (laughs) but they're on a cool 13 game losing streak and they have a 276 um, win percentage and 16 points, which I looked it up, and the next lowest is, shockingly not Detroit, it is Ottawa, and here's what Ottawa is rocking. They have a 348 and 23 points, so seven more points and, like, points zero seven or whatever like significantly higher it is actually insane how bad they are like 13 game losing streak that to me is insane like I feel like that's more normal to have in like baseball I mean even 13 games is still usually you get like nine game losing streaks more often than you do like double digits but for hockey I feel like that doesn't that's very rare to have longer than like an eight game losing streak. Okay. Let alone 13. So I did the math with how many games they've played. If we were playing an 82 game season, they would be on a 45 point pace. That is embarrassing. Yeah. That is. And now I have to do the math on, because I'm looking at, everyone knows that Detroit was an absolute disaster last year. Like, yeah unequivocal just and they were on a 45 point pace Detroit I wonder what their longest losing streak was probably similar (laughs) but holy crap they're terrible finally finally they fired Ralph Ralph Kruger if for nothing else like I the season's toast whatever coach their head coach yeah but like okay fine the season's gone whatever Play Jeff Skinner. Build up the value of Taylor Hall so you can get something for him at the deadline. He's actually a really good player. They have him. And and no one has any points or goals or anything. None of their great players. Like they have legitimately good players who should not. It's like just a terrible situation. So if for nothing else, if you can just make the situation better enough so that your confirmed good players can actually have statistics like good players so then maybe you can trade them for something that would be good but like Steve Angle was talking about this and I think it's very true 
Detroit last year on a 45-point pace. Obviously, that sucks. Detroit was trying to be bad. No one was Mm -hmm. under the illusion that they were being, like, any of their good players played for their minor league team. Because they're like, we don't want this stank on them. Like, just the in the minor leagues and we're we're fine because we know we're trying to get picks right now. We're rebuilding. Buffalo signed Taylor Hall in the offseason. Yeah. They're bad on accident. And not just bad. They're like really bad. Last place in the like rocking the same points percentage as a team that was trying to be terrible. Maybe they should try bringing their AHL coaching staff up for a game. Who knows? It's just it's so so bad. And it's just there's a culture problem there. And I think a lot of it is ownership. And I don't know how you fix that, but yeah, I'm curious how long Jack Eichel is going to stay there because he's signed to a long-term deal, but he does not seem happy and I do not blame him. Right. And that's another culture thing. There's a lot of people who say that he has too much influence, like he calls too many shots. And it is the thing where keeping your stars happy and keeping your like mega stars involved, but they also aren't the general manager and don't have the knowledge to do that. So right. It's a, a delicate thing, but now, of course, we have to end with Penguin stuff. They've been a little all over the place, um, mostly because everyone is injured. They were kind of really doing amazing for a while there, and then if Benny Malkin is hurt, um, Teddy Bluger is hurt, Brandon Tanev is hurt. Their defense, who was, like, decimated all season, is now all healthy, <laughs> and now they have, like, half of their forwards are hurt. Um I kind of want them to play Mike Matheson, who's a defenseman at forward, and then they have a defenseman they can slot in in his place just because some of the forwards we're having to play are not good. (laughs) And Mike Matheson actually looks like he's a pretty – and I've heard he's played forward before. Um, But in addition to that, I have to talk about Brandon Tanev, who had a hit against Boston that – looked bad and I think the player might have gotten hurt or at least shaken up but if you watch it even in like full speed it 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 looked painful but even in the moment I'm like there's nothing wrong with that hit like it was just the player kind of turned into an unfortunate position but it was not boarding it wasn't any of that stuff and they called a five-minute major and when it happened I'm like mom everyone's freaking out but they just do this because they they do this all the time now if they think it could be a five-minute major you call the five-minute major because then you have to review it right you review it but if you don't call a five-minute major then you can't review it so you couldn't bump it up so you just for safety reasons, call it the five minute major. And then if it's even close and then you can always take it off if it isn't like, they're just doing that to make sure. And then they'll take it off. And then it's like, Nope, the five minute major stand. Like on what planet is that a five minute major? Like you had the review. It isn't a five minute major, not even close. He didn't get fined. He didn't get suspended. Nothing happened after the fact that should tell you it wasn't a five minute major. And for a team that was battling injuries, it just, it seems to really hamper them for yeah. no good reason. And it, it was legitimately one, like since the Vegas playoff call, which obviously had more implications and all of that, it's the worst major I've seen in a long time because they have the opportunity to correct themselves and they just didn't do it. And so I'm really annoyed with that, but they're hanging in there. 
the north or not the north the east is kind of starting to separate itself because the penguins by win percentage are in fourth so they're in third in points but fourth in win percentage but their point or percentage is 625 and the flyers are at 569 so there is a good bit of difference and then all of the other ones are kind of bunched up together the top four so it does seem like there's a little bit of a haves and have nots in the league which is good we need to just keep that going a little bit keep keep building some separation and some insulation but um I feel a lot better than I did at the beginning of the season they actually look like a hockey team now part of that is they have goaltending now but they just look a lot better um so with that let's go uh to the central division I just wanted to call out so it's really hard to evaluate divisions because you're all just playing each other. So you have no frame of reference for like, is the central the best or is the East? Right. Like you have no frame of reference besides that like was kind of the issue with baseball last year. Yeah. You had no clue. Um, it was what, but the central division, I do want to call out. They have three of the like higher win percentages in their top three, which is pretty amazing. They have three, teams with an over 700 winning percentage uh tampa and florida and then carolina and tampa and carolina i think most people would have predicted would do well florida is kind of the shocker especially since they have a 10 million dollar backup um but it is pretty amazing to see how well that those top three teams it does obviously make it hard because then there's that fourth spot and that's kind of all of the chance anyone else has but it is pretty interesting. They they certainly seem like the most stacked up top of the any of the divisions, but we'll have to see when it comes playoff time. And again, it's going to be weird because you play in your division and then you just get one representative from each division. So then it's, yeah. you have to be like, okay, you got to rep the cause and see if there are any, because you could have a fluky, like bad series. And then that division will have lost to another division. And it's like, well, but were they really worse? Or is it just one team had a bad division? Right. Whereas like in basketball, for instance, there's 64 teams. And so teams get like, conferences get like five or six or whatever teams in there. So you can kind of judge more. You have more of a sample to judge on. But anyways, the next thing I want to talk about, Patrick Kane uh, played a thousand games and was recognized for that. Um, He's definitely a divisive figure for a lot of reasons. He's a little bit of like a frat boy spoiled guy at times, but he obviously is a very dynamic player. um, One of the better Americans in recent memory, that sort of thing. But the thing I thought was really notable about his 1000th game is they played a lot of like recordings and obviously they do a lot of stuff to acknowledge it and they played a video from Jonathan Taves which is the first time we've heard from Jonathan Taves since it was announced that he would be out long term and it's all been very like kind of cagey about what's going on with him it seems like it could be concussion but no one knows Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't really want to speculate but it was just interesting to see him and hear him talk and stuff so I thought that was cool. And then, as always, we're going to end with Morgan talking about the Dallas Stars. I have a lot to complain about this week, which is probably no surprise. <laughs> but I, 
it's, I don't even know where to start. We'll start with goalies because I've said it a lot on both Twitter and Tumblr. Um, but it's worth mentioning here. I don't know what Rick Bonus has against Anton Hudobin, but it's really starting to make me mad. I think it's, it definitely started earlier in February when we had that big deal about, um, you damn well better follow my rules. And it's like, he was just late to practice and it seemed like it should have been something bigger. And then um, there was, I think it was the game against Chicago when the stars were down or nothing going into the third. And so Ottinger started the third period of that game and the Stars scored two goals in that game. And then the next four games, Ottinger was in net. And I haven't, I should preface this. I have absolutely nothing against Ottinger. My issue is the coaching decisions because Ottinger is a rookie. And so in my mind, I think of it as like a rookie pitcher. You don't just like, throw them out there and treat them like they've played in the big leagues for years and know how it works because like there is a difference between NHL and AHL and I feel like he played four games in a row two of those were back-to-back nights three of those four games went to overtime two of those overtime games went to shootouts that's a lot in a in six days for a rookie goalie and for it being for no real reason, like there was nothing wrong with Dobie. So that annoys me greatly because on what day was the 16th? The 16th was last Tuesday. So when um, Ottinger was going to make his third start six days and um it it, like the the thing about it was we weren't hearing anything about like why Dobie wasn't even playing in those games it was just like auditors out there and we don't get any reasoning and someone asked uh Rick Bonus um if Hudobin is completely healthy and then like basically explain why he's not in the net and he said Hudobin is completely healthy and quote sometimes the explanation is right in front of you which seems pointed at Dobie and I totally understand Ottinger had been playing really well but again I feel like you're you're risking hurting him by overplaying a rookie who has never played a full season in the NHL and my other thing is like I started thinking of it like, why? Okay, so the only reason Rick Bonus is the head coach is because the Stars had a good playoff run. I really don't think that he would have been the head coach and not interviewed anyone else if the Stars didn't have as good of a playoff run as they did. And in my mind, how are you going to sit out a goalie for the, that many games for no apparent reason after we you begged him to come back? <laughs> And I just feel like if 
bonus is getting to keep his job based on postseason performance, then Dobie should be too. And all this to say, Dobie came back Saturday, got his third shutout of the season. Uh, I think played really good tonight too. The Stars lost in a shootout, which is going to bring me to my next issue. Um, But I just that's been bothering me for a week because the other thing is I know I know I I mentioned this when the stars first started doing Saturday and Sunday back-to-back games because of their schedule because of COVID uh, or the winter storm I talked about how the back the first back-to-back Ottinger did it and then I think he did the first two back-to-backs Ottinger had and then this weekend Dobie did both backpacks I don't understand that strategy and I know the first weekend it was two different teams it was Columbus and Nashville last weekend it was Columbus for both games and this weekend it was Detroit and then Nashville tonight so it's I guess you could say there's some strategy because it's not like the team is seeing the same goalie back-to-back nights but I just feel like you're making them tired for no reason like it just I don't know I'm not a head coach I've never been a head coach but like the strategy just doesn't seem there it's very anti-current NHL because most NHL teams like the new thing is to split the load and most teams view even if you have if the option is like one elite goalie and then like a not very good backup or two like really pretty good but maybe not elite goalies who can split the load that you're going to have better success because even an elite goalie if you play them too much come playoff time they won't be good and I kind of understood the first weekend uh Ottinger had a 5-0 shutout that Saturday so I kind of get him playing that Sunday they lost in a shootout I I can understand somewhat the strategy there but then the next weekend the Saturday game the Stars lost in overtime and then they happen to win that Sunday. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, if he had a, a overtime game loss, why would you send him out there the next day? Let him have a little break after that overtime loss. And then I kind of understand doing Dobie back-to-back, especially do after um, Ottinger just played four games in six nights. But it's my thing to question bonus on here, and I'm going to continue to do it. Yeah, um, because it's also like I was comparing their stats and it's not like Ottinger has been wildly better than Dobie. Like Dobie hasn't been like the god we saw at playoffs, but I don't think any of us really expected that. Um, but like, okay, so, and you can help me make sense of some of these stats because some of them I don't. Okay, what would you look at for goalies? Like what's your trusted stat to look at? I mean, save percentage is usually what I look at because I'm lazy, but like high <laughs> danger or like uh, goals saved above expected, those are your like more. So for the save percentage, Dobie is 909. This is updated after today's. And Ottinger is 913. So 913 is good. 909 is is fine. It's a little more like, like 913 you're starting to get like, high average to like maybe even above average 909 is like solidly in like average I also feel like 
because I don't know where to find the high danger. Stats. Those are like, there's all these advanced goalie stats that yeah. I don't have access to. And I know natural stat trick has some of them that you can get, but I just never look there because it's a lot of work. But I, yeah. And I also, Dobie tends to see a lot more shots than Ottinger does. And Dobie's played in 16 games. Ottinger started 12, but, but it's been in 15. That's why um, things like goals saved above expected or things like that can be helpful because it kind of then accounts for like it, it's really helpful for like um so for instance last year um Jacob Markstrom for Vancouver he had what was a good but not great save percentage but then if you looked at the defense in front of him having a good but not great save percentage is above yeah. significantly like it's Vesna worthy because like the average save percentage of the kind of shots he was facing was not what like a normal NHL save percentage. Would so be. goals above expected. Is that the same as goals against average goals? No goals against What's average. GAA? Goals against average is just how many goals they average for giving oh. up a game. Goals saved above expected. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, like war in baseball. Yeah. And there's like, several different calculations for war because it's different yeah. companies it's kind of a similar thing in hockey okay. it's just the general idea is figuring out a way to say what an average goalie would stop um in like certain situations based on like who's shooting and where they're shooting from and the traffic and all those sorts of things and then um working out how this goalie compares so it's very it, it's fancy stats yeah, but, like, I guess my issue is that I also feel like Rick is making Dobie seem like he's just not great. But when you compare their stats, like, to me, their stats don't aren't, like, crazy different where I'm like, okay, we should have Dobie sit out for four games in a row and see what happens. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is even if Dobie is worse, which it sounds like he might be, if he's not, like, rocking an 880 or something, you kind of have to see it through because they're not going to get out of a slump by not playing. Right. Like, that's not really a thing. And if it's they're not so detrimental to your team, then you kind of – have to play them yeah. just to try to get them through it because it's not really a slump now like um I know for Edmonton Mike Smith has been amazing which Mike Smith is either god mode or absolutely trash but <laughs> um Miko Koskinen has really been struggling so they've just been riding Mike Smith the whole time well that's different because there's like this huge disparity but like the Penguins had a similar thing where Casey DeSmith was doing better than Tristan Jari they still played Tristan Jari. They paid Casey DeSmith more, but it wasn't like they just basically only used Tristan Jari for like the second half back-to-backs. No, they're still playing because they want to – it's like better for your team, and as long as one doesn't completely kill your chances, you kind of got to do it. Yeah, and I think the thing is, especially early on, it's kind of hard to really tell when Dobie hasn't really played that much recently – but early on, there was definitely a difference in how the rest of the team played in front of Dobie versus how they played in front of Ottinger. And I think that makes a big difference, too, because I feel like they played more 
lazily in a sense in front of Dobie it kind of it to me it read as well Dobie's god mode like he'll be fine if we kind of slack a bit defensively whereas when they got in front of Ottinger it's kind of like okay he's the rookie we have to protect him at all costs kind of a thing um and I think that plays into as far as their stats go um but again like my biggest issue was like are we overworking, not we, because I don't make these decisions, but are they overworking Ottinger while punishing Dobie? It just doesn't seem like long-term that's going to work, especially when they're just now halfway through the season. They've played 28 games, um, and they're 10, 10, and 8, which again is another issue. Um, But also speaking of Rick bonus decisions, I don't understand so <laughs> that same Tuesday in which he made that comment about Dobie at the end of that game that went to overtime and was a loss, um, Dennis Garionov did not play any overtime that game. He was asked about it. And his response was he wasn't feeling it at all tonight. He didn't like um, Dennis's game at all. And uh, the reporter asked, was that on offense or defense? Like, what was it about him that didn't, that you didn't like? And bonus said the whole game, both sides. Now y'all know I keep ice time records here. So tell me how someone who played 16 minutes in regulation and continuously got a little more ice time each period. He started first period, he played 441. Second period, 536. Third period, 553. So why, if you don't like how he's playing, are you giving him more shifts each period as the game goes on? Make it make sense, Rick, because I don't understand it. My other thing that I don't understand, and once again, just like with Oninger, this isn't a slight against the player. It's me not understanding the quote-unquote logic that's going into these decisions. So I'm fully convinced that Jason Robertson must have some kind of blackmail on Rick Bonus because he is getting a ton of ice time. Like, He's a rookie getting the ice time that like Dennis Giryanov should have gotten in his rookie season. And it's wild to me. And I think he deserves it. But also, like I was looking at stats yesterday, so before Sunday's game. And at the time, Giryanov had, I think, one more goal than Robertson. And Robertson had one more point than Giryanov. But their ice times have been like significantly different. And I feel like uh, Robertson is getting the ice time and like respect that he deserves with how much he's contributed, but that's not given like equally. Like Giryanov should have gotten that last year. Like for instance, shootouts. Robertson has been in like every shootout since he scored his first goal. Giryanov, I think between last year and this year has been in one and it makes no sense, and I don't understand it. And while we're on the topic of shootouts, because the Stars went to one today, they are atrocious, and they desperately need Tyler Sagan back, not just for shootouts, because I would gladly love to never go to a shootout ever again. But I think that they're like, in shootouts, they're five for 20 in goals for shootouts or whatever, uh 
Pavelski has finally got his first shootout goal in six attempts tonight. Uh, surprisingly, our most reliable shooter has been uh, Radulov, who is two for three, but he wasn't playing tonight because he's day-to-day. Rope Hintz is day-to-day. Foxa got, we literally got down to like 11 guys on the bench tonight. Um, so we were already thin going into the shootout. However, Robertson went first, looked okay, didn't make it. Delandria, shocked to death that he finally got the respect and got to be a shooter in the shootout. However, him and the puck went the wrong directions because the puck went away and he went into the goal. Not how it works, but I appreciated the effort. Then Pavelski went, he scored. Then it's after those three, it was kind of like, well, who are we going to put in now? You would think Gurionov and you would be wrong because then it was Klingberg who did not score. And then you're really like, okay, if Klingberg is going for Gironov, who's going to be? Well, I can name about five other people I'd like to see before Jamie Benn, and that's who we put in. And if you have never seen Jamie Benn in a shootout, I'm so happy for you because every time I've seen him in, it, he kind of looks like, well, I'm not going to make it, and I know I'm not, so why really put that much effort? Literally, what he, I have not been on ice skates in 15 years, we'll say. I could have um, done as good as he did in the shootout. I'm pretty confident in that, which I think says a lot considering he's getting paid millions to, you know, skate on ice and shoot a puck, and I am not. And I truly never want to see him in a shootout again. <laughs> Which it's fine. Shootouts aren't everyone's thing, but like, then don't play them. Exactly. Exactly. Because you could have put Dennis Guryanov out there. Oh, Dickinson. Um, probably would have put Jamie Oleksiak out there before Jamie Ben. Haskinen. I was gonna ask about Haskinen because I'm pretty sure he wasn't one of the injured millions of dudes that were unavailable um I might go as far as to say Cogliato before Jamie Ben because Jamie Ben doesn't do any like if you've never seen a shootout and so you have you have an idea of what someone might look like in a shootout I feel like you would think Jamie Ben where it's just like that basic slight zigzag and then you shoot like that's what you all expect for a shootout but you would hope for more but that's what Jamie Ben does, and he doesn't I mean, change heck, it. Throw out Toby, at least it'd be funny. God, right? That's what. Honestly, I I truly thought that like the last shootout, I was like, just put let Doby. If he can't be in net, let him try and score a goal. Like at least it'd be, at the very least, it might confuse the other goalie enough. <laughs> <laughs> to just be hilarious, it, right? At least it provide entertainment. Because I, I used to rag on Radulov every time he was a shooter, and I will say for me it was for a very good reason. I think I've said it before. He had a uh, penalty shot in like the last couple minutes of a third period one time, and it was awful. And then literally like six minutes later, Monty had him in the shootout and it looked identical to what he did in the shot and it was equally as awful. So I really 
gave Radulov a hard time every time after that. I have admitted fault to that because this year he has done very well. But again, he wasn't available. So that makes it worse. The other really quick issue I'll get to before I just shut up about this. Um, Rope Hints has been day-to-day for like a month now. And Radulov was out for a month, came back, and is now day-to-day again. They both have lower body injuries. The way I heard uh, Rick Bonas say in the interview after Saturday's game sounded like he was saying they have the same lower body injury, um, not the same comma it's a lower body injury. It's very hard to tell, and I listened to the video it would have been better if he wrote out his quote because then I could understand if there was a comma in there. But to me, it sounded like he was saying they have the same injury. And the weirdest thing they keep saying about both of their injuries. And every time I read it, I was like, yeah, okay. But the first time I said it out loud, I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. Is they keep saying that Rope Hints and now Radulov cannot be more injured by playing with this lower body injury. I don't know what lower body injury would not get worse by playing a physical sport. That doesn't make sense to me. The only thing I would question is would they consider like a hernia? But wouldn't that still like I don't hurting more I have no idea and the other thing is that um uh was brought up to me by a friend was like so if they have the same injury why did Radulov get a month off and Rope's playing every other game every other yeah, every other this game. Why it's like, okay, just don't, don't talk then. If you're not going to give exactly what the injury right. is, don't give these breadcrumbs because then it just adds more questions. Exactly, which I clearly have a ton of, and I'm not going to get the answer from Rick Bonus. Um, but it just like, and then after today, after so many players like pretty much left the bench injured. Like, I hate seeing the Stars lose, but I really don't want them to go to playoffs now if we're going to go in there, like, limping with one eye and held together by duct tape. Like, it, I, part of me would like to believe that, you know, when Sagan finally comes back and what the heck is going to happen to the goalies when Ben Bishop comes back, I would like to see maybe the team come together a bit more and have more, like, momentum and know what they're doing but at the same time like I don't just don't bother don't risk your bodies (laughs) don't make me more upset and have to scream at Rick Bonus every week just stay healthy and like play good but don't like Jesus don't break because that's what it feels like it's happening that they're all just breaking should we go to rant and rave now yes please so I'm going to do a quick rant, but I don't know if y'all saw the Kylie Jenner thing from today. I just need to have a little moment about that. She, her stylist, I believe, had some kind of accident and all of this and needs 
$60,000 in medical care, which for reference, Kylie Jenner is worth $900 million. And so what does Kylie Jenner do? It's like, I would think write out a check for 75 grand. Who the hell cares? Yeah. No, that's she creates literally a, nothing. She creates a GoFundMe and uh, donates a whopping five grand for that. Okay. The thing I wanted to say about that is legitimately so many hockey players routinely put more than five grand on the board. And they have like a fraction of the net worth as she does. Like I'm thinking about this from our perspective. If it was the Dallas Stars or the Pittsburgh Penguins and someone got like a trainer or something had this happen to them. Like on the Penguins, say Gino, maybe like Chris Letang and maybe like one other player would just like go in together and fund it. And they would never ask your like, league min players or anything to pitch in for that they never even ask let alone create a gofundme but they just all kick in themselves yeah. and be like and they and that would be that and i'm guessing the same thing it'd be like jamie tyler and that would be that and it's not anything like amazing because it's not a lot of money to them and it's even less money to kylie jenner it was like the equivalent of someone i saw this it's the equivalent of someone with a hundred thousand dollar net worth so that's like equity in your house, money you have in your bank, that sort of thing. That's what a net worth is. It's the equivalent of a person being willing to give $5 and change. That's what $60,000 is to her. Yeah. Like it's just, it's baffling to me. The complete lack of any kind of appreciation for like PR too. Like this makes the Royals look like masters of PR, which is baffling. Because I saw... I saw a tweet and someone was like, in other words, paying off her uh, friend's medical bills would be like spending up, um, like one of us spending the price of a premium latte. I'm like, that makes it sadder that she just didn't pay it. Yeah. And so the other thing I did is when they, they talk about how much she makes in like a day, it's the equivalent of three hours of work. <laughs> so, and that's considering she makes money for not working like her stuff just sells it's like how much she makes per hour in a day so like like did she think it made her look good like look I'm charitable I have no idea what she was thinking clearly not thinking that much so do you have a rant you'd like to share with Clint? Um, yeah so this was a rant I was gonna have last week and I debated on changing it but I'm gonna keep it because it's kind of a ramp, but kind of a, a thing I think all of us women have been talking about last week. Um, Sarah Eberhard's uh, disappearance and murder brought it to light, which is sad to say because I know a lot of people mention that like it's because she's a white woman and it, some of the same things have happened to people of color and nothing's been said, but um she like everyone's been saying she did all the right things that we are taught as women when we're walking at home by ourselves at night she wore bright clothing she walked in a very brightly lit place uh she was on the phone with someone all the things we have all been taught um but there was this one uh thing that I saw on Instagram that actually is from 
well like the screenshot of it is from a book from that uh two co-hosts from a true crime podcast wrote um it if you listen to my favorite murder uh their book called stay sexy and don't get murdered um this was in there and that's what it's from and I just wanted to read it because I just felt like it was kind of like the thing that made me almost more angry um but it's from a TED talk called violence against women it's a men's issue uh the quote is from Jackson Katz and so um just a quick trigger warning because it does talk about like rape and abuse if that's going to trigger anyone skip my rant um he said we talk about how many women were raped last year not how many men raped women we talk about how many girls in a school district were harassed last year not about how many boys harassed girls we talk about how many teenage girls got pregnant in the state of vermont last year rather than how many men and teenage boys got girls pregnant so you can see how the use of this passive voice has a political effect It shifts the focus off men and boys and onto girls and women. Even the term violence against women is problematic. It's the passive construction. There's no active agent in the sentence. It's a bad thing that happens to women. It's a bad thing that happens to women. But when you look at the term violence against women, nobody is doing it to them. It just happens. Men aren't even a part of it, which that was the thing that like really of all the all the posts that I've seen in the last week about that specific incident, that was the one that made me mad, but also like resonated and kind of made me want to be more intentional when I talk about things like that. Because I know even as women, that's something we do because that's just how we've grown up. Like you never talk about but who did it to them, it's always something happened to them, but it's not given a subject who did it. So don't really know where I was trying to go with all that, but it's just something I wanted to uh, mention. Um, I have to find this um, because I was, I've been reading a book, so this is my rave, but it kind of does uh, actually go along with your rant a little bit so I've been reading this book and it's set in like the depression era Mm -hmm. and this gal they do like a traveling library thing which um was like a thing Eleanor Roosevelt started and this gal marries her husband moves from the UK to the US and kind of finds she's trapped and so she ends up doing this library thing and it's like the only thing that gives her fulfillment well, she lives with her husband and his father and all this thing is happening. Well, one thing leads to another and the father-in-law like severely beats her and she just leaves and goes and stays with someone she works with in the library and people like judge for that because apparently at the time everyone would just like those things happened and women stayed and nothing really happened because of it and she wasn't coming back and wasn't coming back the father-in-law offered her fifty dollars she still wasn't coming back and so finally he sent the pastor and the pastor was like talking about marriage duty and all of this puke stuff and there's a rant in there and I just have to give the author credit and I'm going to read this it's like I have a question and the 
priest is like, or the pastor is like, oh, wow, she, like, I might have an opening. So, yeah, to ask me your question, what does God say about smashing your daughter-in-law's head repeatedly into a table because she had the audacity to give two old toys to some motherless girls? Do you have a verse for that one? Because I'd love to hear it. Perhaps you have one for when a woman's sight is still blurred in one eye because her father-in-law smacked her so hard in the face that she saw stars. Or what's the Bible verse for when a man tries to give you paper money to make you behave as he wants you to? Do you think Ephesians has a view on that? $50 is quite a sum after all, large enough to ignite all kinds of sin for behavior. And then he started saying like, this is a private matter. And he said, is that godly behavior pastor? Because I'm listening really hard and all I'm hearing is everyone telling me what I'm apparently doing wrong. When actually I think I may have been the godliest one in the household. I might not spend enough time in church granted, but I actually do minister to the poor and sick and needy. Never looked at another man or given my husband reason to doubt me. I give away what I can. I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't call in men with machine guns from across state lines to threaten my own workforce. Her father-in-law does that. Um, I don't charge that same workforce four times the fair amount for groceries and sack them if they try to, to, to buy food anywhere but the company store until they run up debts before they die. I don't throw the sick out of their company homes when they can't work. I certainly don't beat up young women until they can't see. Then send a servant over with money to smooth it over. So tell me, pastor, who really is the ungodly one in all this? Just who needs a lecture on how to behave? Because I'm darned if I can work this one out. And I just really stand take no shit women so yes I wanted to just highlight that as my my rave because I I definitely I appreciated that character in the book yeah I I actually I really like that um my rave is really random for me because I'm not a basketball person um I often call it the squeaky sport because that's the reason one of the reasons I don't watch it is because just the, the squeaky shoes just kill me on the on the spectrum of like sports noises that are like fun to hear and not fun the best noises are hockey noises the worst noises are basketball noises so I just I can't handle it um but there are a few instances where I will handle it and that's when either the Dallas Mavericks are in playoffs or when it's March Madness and my alma mater makes it which they did so I went to University of North Texas and we don't have a lot of good sports things there uh basketball tends to always be as far as the rest of the sports go good um but they made it to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2010 they played I already forgot who they played in the first game, but they were like, UNT was ranked 13th, I believe, and they won. And it was the first game that they have ever won in school history in an NCAA tournament. They lost today, which is unfortunate, but they were playing Villanova. So it was kind of like, eh, didn't really expect much. Just glad they got one game, but um. I was proud of myself for being able to watch it and actually being interested in it. I was proud that I actually got to see them win their very first NCAA tournament game. That was pretty cool. I also really loved their uniforms (laughs) because the color to me wasn't exactly like our university green color. Um, We're mean green, by the way. Um, 
it kind of reminded me, which I've gushed about on here before, the Oakland Athletics Kelly green uniforms are like my favorite color uniforms in like any sport. And I don't know if it was just the TV that was picking up this way, but UNT's color was about the Kelly green. And I just, I think that made it more enjoyable for me to watch too. Um, But yeah, I was kind of, I mean, they only won one game, but they won it and it was an upset because I did also see after that game ended, there were 0.0041% of the brackets were still perfect, which kind of made me my petty heart happy. Um, Yeah, so that's that's probably the first and only time I will be raving about basketball <laughs> we'll see if i have something to rave about because my team plays tomorrow to try to oh I, they won, I did see that they won their first game very close but now we got to see how they do so i was thinking yours played today too but i looked at the schedule wrong yeah they play tomorrow so we'll find out if i have anything to rave about next week um so with that we will bid you all farewell and we will see you again next week barring any medical emergency <laughs> <laughs> bye everyone